Welcome to Insights Now, a series of conversations designed to shine a light of clarity on the complex world of investing. In our third season, we'll explore investing in a post-pandemic world. After a year and a half of COVID-19 dominating nearly every investment conversation, vaccine rollouts are now well underway and the global economy is recovering at a much faster pace than following past recessions. But as we emerge from the pandemic bunker, the financial landscape looks very different from when we went in. In this season, we take a wide-angle lens to the investment environment to discuss economic trends and long-term themes in markets and how COVID-19 has shaped them. Over the course of a dozen episodes, we'll speak with experts on a variety of topics in an attempt to provide some insight on investing for a post-pandemic world. For our last episode of this season, we're going to cover the investment outlook for 2022, entitled Investing Beyond the Pandemic. For this discussion, I'm very glad to be joined by my colleague Jack Manley, Global Market Strategist here at J.P. Morgan Asset Management, co-author of our year-end outlook and flagship guide to the markets. So Jack, welcome back to Insights Now. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. So despite the fact the pandemic was obviously continuing, the U.S. economy saw a powerful recovery in 2021 across equity markets, the labor market, and really an overall economic growth. But in recent months, investors have had to weigh a series of risks to both economic growth and to the market. The Fed's shifting to be more hawkish, inflation has surged, valuations sit at lofty levels. So as we look forward to 2022, what does this backdrop mean broadly for asset allocation? So, David, I mean, the first thing I want to say is it's it's hard to sugarcoat this story that you just laid out in front of us, right? I mean, there are a lot of challenges that we're going to be facing as we move into 2022. But what I do think is important to do, and it's important to remember, and it's important to take stock of, is just how good things have been over the last several years in terms of our portfolio performance. I mean, you look at what the S&P 500 did in 2020, up 16%. You look at what it's doing so far this year, uh, up over 20% at the moment. The market's been very kind to our portfolios. Uh, and I think we have to remember that, that as we approach this period of, of heightened uh, uh, challenges, that up until now, things have been been pretty good. But to your point, there are a lot of issues that we're going to be facing as we move into next year. And I think what that means more than anything at a very high level is just how important it is for prudent security selection, prudent sector selection. All of that, I think, making the case for active management. This is no longer a story where the beta play is going to work in the way that it used to. This is not the story of a rising tide lifting all ships. We need to be very careful about where we are allocating in this environment. It's getting harder and harder to make money uh, given the challenges that we are being faced with. The strongest tide around the world, I suppose, from a financial perspective in 2021 was the U.S. equity market. So specifically looking at U.S. equities, um, how do you think people should feel about U.S. equities in 2022? So I'm looking at the backdrop right now and I see a couple of things. And I know we've talked about this in the past, but the growth story in particular is where I want to pay attention. And from a growth perspective, we're seeing continued strong economic activity through the first quarter of 2022, and then things moderating off to that slower, more steady-like pace as we back into uh, the second half of the year. Now, given that backdrop, I think it means that we need to be a little bit more tactical in how we are approaching asset allocation, U.S. equities in particular. From a short-term perspective, well, growth is going to be running above trend. What does well when growth is running above trend? It tends to be those more cyclical parts of the market. It also tends to be the smaller cap parts of the market. From a cyclicality perspective, things like energy to some extent, but mostly financials, industrials, 
all of these sectors do well in a period of strong economic activity. That is exactly what we are going to be looking for. You look at small cap stocks. They tend to be a little bit more levered toward domestic growth. Stronger than normal growth, that points to an overweight as we move down from the household mega cap names into some of those smaller names that we may not have, have been paying as much attention to in the past. So Typically, we don't like to have tactical views on this sort of thing, but given what the macro backdrop is right now and given how quickly it is shifting, I do think we need to look at things in terms of a three to six month horizon before changing things up and looking a little bit more strategic beyond that. One other thing, of course, that we think is going to happen in 2022 is the rest of the world should be able to catch up to the United States in terms of its rebound from this pandemic. Uh, so given that, should investors be looking abroad for opportunities? I think absolutely they should be. And that plays a whole lot into that cyclicality story that I was talking about with U.S. equity markets. You look at foreign markets, particularly foreign developed markets. That's going to be Europe. It's going to be Japan. It's going to be the U.K. It'll be Canada to some extent. They are far more cyclical in nature than the United States is, both from a macro perspective in terms of how their GDP is constructed, but also from a markets perspective. You look at where the overweights are in terms of these regional indices, they are skewed far more cyclical. The U.S., as we know, is dominated by technology. The other parts of the, of the world not necessarily have the same story. Europe, as an example, is dominated by financials, much more cyclical part of the market. And David, as you mentioned, this sort of torch of growth is being passed from the United States over to the rest of the world. Their vaccination rates have caught up with ours. They are surpassing ours. They are growing at a faster clip than we are, or at least they have the potential to do that. The growth stories broadened out. And that is a pretty significant divergence from where we were earlier in 2021. So you want to be in those more cyclical parts of the market. As I said earlier, that means in the U.S., things like financials, industrials, energy, but it means also paying more attention to those developed market overseas. That's, again, that tactical story. I think it's a harder argument to make, you know, is Europe going to outperform the United States for the next 10 years? I'm not sure. That's that's a challenging thing to say. But will Europe, or does Europe, I should say, have the potential to outperform the United States for the next 3, 6, 12 months? I think that is a cleaner conversation to have. You add on top of that the very compelling valuation argument that you see in foreign equities. They are trading at a historically cheap discount relative not only to their own histories, but also to the U.S. You add on top of that the income stream that you get out of foreign stocks, dividend yields being much higher overseas than they are here in the U.S. All of this, I think, makes for a very compelling case to look outside of our own borders, pay more attention to international equities uh, in our portfolio construction moving forward. Okay, so we've talked about equities, but the main pain point for investors this year has actually been the bond market. So with global central banks shifting towards tightening monetary policy and spreads sitting at historically tight levels across the credit universe, the backdrop for traditional fixed income does look challenging. But fixed income still has an important role to play in portfolios by providing downside protection and diversification. So how should investors position within fixed income? You know, it's it's kind of funny. I, I I feel like we've been down this road before, and it feels like every time we have a conversation about fixed income, it starts with, well, this year's going to be pretty tough for fixed income investors. It always feels like it's pretty tough for fixed income investors. But we are in a different environment now from a fixed income perspective than we were even a few years ago. And a lot of that has to do, David, to your point, with what's going on with central bank policy. I mean, we know the Bank of England has hiked rates already. We know the Bank of Canada is done with tapering. We know the Fed is becoming more aggressive in its normalization uh, uh, approach. All of these things point to a very rapidly changing fixed income landscape. 
Now, typically speaking, if you see a period of rising rates, especially a period where the yield curve is set to steepen, which we do think is going to happen, short rates staying pretty firmly anchored at zero here in the U.S., longer end yields allowed to drift higher as QE winds down, well, typically speaking, you're going to want to shorten up on duration from that perspective. And so that is what we are advising clients to do, shorten up on duration in their fixed income portfolios, not just to avoid that rising rate problem, but also because the macro backdrop is pretty good. I mean, we know that growth is slowing, but it's not slowing into negative territory. It's just returning back to what we're used to seeing. You probably don't need as much protection in a portfolio as you did, say, perhaps a year ago. But we also know that because you are shortening up on duration, you are almost inherently sacrificing yield. And so we need to get a little bit more creative when it comes to how we're finding yield in fixed income. Where do you find income in fixed income nowadays? So in addition to shortening up on duration, I think it means a few other things. I think it means looking down in the credit spectrum. I've heard before something like uh, corporates are the new treasuries, right? Do we think about high quality corporates the way that we used to think about high quality treasuries? Pretty decent yield, pretty low default risk. Maybe we also start to look overseas a little bit. Emerging market debt in particular, we're having more conversations about this when it comes to portfolio positioning. You look at EMD, you look at the outsized yield contribution, you look at the fact that the quality has crept up over time in the universe, and you look at the fact that duration is about as low as you can get when it comes to bonds of this style, you're kind of hitting the, you're, you're kind of hitting all, you're, you're kind of checking all three boxes. It seems to satisfy everything that you're looking for as a fixed income investor. I'm not saying put all of your money into emerging market debt, but as a way to enhance the returns and income potential to get things back to where they had been in the past, we have to get creative. And that is one of the ways that I think we can do that. You mentioned earlier on this, it's important not to sugarcoat the outlook. And as we laid out in our 2022 long-term capital market assumptions, the expected return on a 60-40 stock bond portfolio over the next 10 to 15 years, we believe is, is just 4.3%, well below what many investors will need in order to achieve their long-term goals. So are there opportunities outside of traditional equity fixed income portfolios that might provide solutions to, uh, to investors? I think absolutely. And from a number of different perspectives, this tees up the conversation around alternatives. That could be things like hedge funds, of course. It could also be private equity, real assets like real estate, infrastructure. Even to some extent, we are having more conversations about cryptocurrencies, NFTs. People are approaching uh, active management. People are approaching investing with just a different sort of framework. They're thinking about things a little bit differently than they had in the past. They're moving away from traditional markets. Maybe private markets should be considered the new public markets. And we know that the industry is shifting in this direction as well. We know that things are being more and more open to clients. Minimums in terms of investment requirements uh, are lower than they had been in the past. Things are tough from a public market perspective. Alternatives are going to be one of the best ways to solve for that. They have a very strong income stream if you're looking at things like real assets, infrastructure, real estate. That helps with the income problem that you're seeing in fixed income. We know that certain commodities are extraordinarily good inflation hedges, which helps because we know that inflation is going to be bubbling higher. And you look at things like hedge funds, well, if this is indeed a place where security and sector selection are going to be of paramount importance, that is probably one of the better ways 
to actually generate some alpha in a portfolio. So I do think alternatives are playing more of a role in portfolio construction right now. And certainly as we look out over the years ahead, I think they will be becoming more and more important uh, as we move forward uh, in terms of this thought. So when we talk about our 2022 outlook, we may highlight our preferences in tactical positioning, but really our investment time horizon is longer term. How should investors think about implementing long-term strategic views into their portfolios? And what are some of the more exciting secular opportunities out there right now? Yeah, I think when we think about strategic views, when we think about the secular stories, what we're looking for is the trends. What are the big long-term things that we think are going to shape our world over the next 10 to 15 years? And there are a number of these things that I think we want to pay very close attention to both here in the United States and around the rest of the world. One of the things is going to be the continued innovation that you see in technology. Technology is, of course, everywhere. It is pervasive, right? I mean, the fact that we were able to transition so quickly during the pandemic to working remotely and keeping up, if not improving our productivity, I think is testament to just how important technology is. No one's going to look you in the eye and tell you tech is going to be less important 10 years from now than it is at the moment. It is just becoming more and more a part of our everyday lives. There is so much innovation. It is a long-term secular trend. We also have the rise of the emerging market middle class, and in particular, the rise of China. China's continued uh, uh, move towards entering the, the, the global stage. You think about places like China, but also Korea, India, Taiwan, Vietnam, all of these countries, they have heavy exposure to manufacturing. They have a heavy exposure to the consumer. But as I said, I think the most exciting thing that you see in these areas is this rapidly growing middle class. You're looking at places like China and India collectively adding around a billion people to the global middle class in less than 10 years. That is an enormous amount of aggregate purchasing power that is coming online. It will, of course, be beneficial for foreign companies that do business in those regions. But as these regions turn increasingly inward in terms of their consumption habits, it's going to be beneficial for them as well. It means things like technology, of course. We know uh, Emerging Asia already does that very nicely. But more nascent industries, I think, are going to evolve quite nicely. Healthcare, as an example. Your life expectancy increases as you make more money. Financials, as an example, because your financial needs become more complex as you make more money. This emergence of the EM middle class, the emergence of China as a global superpower, these are very powerful trends. And then finally, and I think this is a global story, it's related to EM, it's related to technology, it is this continued push towards decarbonization and the way we think about ESG, environmental social governance style investing. We know there is political will. We know individuals are interested in this. We know that some of these opportunities are at least getting in at the ground floor for some very exciting high-growth, high-octane uh, potential products and strategies. ESG is going to become more and more important as we think about portfolio allocation moving forward. That is yet another trend uh, that we have to look forward to that I think will be shaping our lives over this time period. So... We've outlined where we think the best opportunities will be in 2022 and beyond broadly. Uh, but now I'd like to talk about some you know, real world actual portfolios. And I'd like to draw on some of the work you've done with our portfolio insights team here at JP Morgan Asset Management. Have investors already positioned portfolios to take advantage of these opportunities? 
looking at this information is it's just fascinating and we have access to a whole lot of stuff that I think is 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 really pretty illuminating I mean we can look at what I like to think of as being kind of different archetypes of client types we can look at endowments and foundations we can look at pension plans we can look at 401ks we can look at tra- traditional retail brokerage now all of these client types if you will they all have different return needs and they all have different risk tolerances the way that they are expressing that risk tolerance or or that return need is by pulling one of two levers. Really, they're either ratcheting up or ratcheting down their U.S. equity exposure and in, in sort of opposite to that, uh, ratcheting up or ratcheting down their U.S. bond exposure. It means that actually a lot of what we've talked about has not been fully embraced by uh, portfolios, by investors out there right now. We know, for example, in fixed income that investors have shortened up on duration. We know in fixed income... Uh, that investors are moving down in the credit spectrum. But we also know in fixed income that the appetite for emerging market debt or foreign debt in general has not budged a whole lot at all. We know within the equity market that people are starting to pay a little bit more attention to value equities, but it has not done really anything to get rid of the massive overweight that we see to, to growth and have continued to see to growth to a very long time. We know overseas there's some appetite for foreign markets, and it's ticked up a little bit recently, but I'll tell you, it's no better than it was at the beginning of this year. I think all of this is to say that while we've spent some time kind of thinking about what the short-term, long-term opportunities may be, they have not been fully embraced by the market. They have not been fully embraced by investors, and that's important because it means that these trades are not overcrowded. They're not overdone. There is still more room to run as people continue to adopt uh, and adapt their portfolios to these longer-term trends that we've lined out. So there's a lot of work to be done on portfolio positioning in, in, in 2022. How has the pandemic actually changed portfolio positioning? So we ran a pretty a pretty simple exercise, just some pretty basic math on our end. And uh, in the guide to the markets, we have constructed sort of a synthetic asset allocation portfolio, right? You're across equities, bonds, alternatives, large cap, small cap, uh, high quality, low quality. But basically the way the pie shapes up is Uh, It's not necessarily a traditional 60-40 portfolio. It is instead a uh, a 55-45 stock bond, um, excuse me, 55-35 stock bond with 10% alternatives. If you were to take that portfolio at the end of 2019, put some money into it, and then let it ride for the next two years. So you don't put anything in, you don't put anything out other than just reinvesting dividends, taking that total return. Your allocation has shifted over this time period. That 55% equity is now 60% equity. That 35% bonds is now 30% bonds. You are overweight to equities relative to what you have been in the past, which means that your portfolio right now is not the portfolio that you signed up for just a couple of years ago. So much of that has to do with that strong equity market performance that we discussed earlier. So much of it has to do with the challenges that the fixed income market has faced that we've discussed earlier. So if you're looking at a portfolio right now, it's just not what you thought it was, or it's not what you got into to a couple of years ago, it makes the case for needing to rebalance, again, being a little bit more active in that allocation, being a little bit more thoughtful about where you're putting your money to work. So, so ask not what, what you've done to the market, ask what the market has done to you. <laughs> exactly. Okay. So, so finally, what's your one best piece of advice for investors in the new year? You know, you mentioned right at the start of our call, there are all these challenges that we're going to be facing. And I tried to couch that by saying, you're absolutely right, but things have been pretty good up until now. Now, the advice I would say, generally speaking, is don't pay too much attention 
to what's directly in front of your nose. You don't want to be myopic when it comes to an outlook like this because you really run the risk of missing the forest for the trees. You know, markets can be off, they can be up, they can be down. Things change a whole lot in today's world. Things are inherently more volatile. But if you look at things over the long run, you assess things based off of, say, the macro backdrop. You think about those longer-term secular trends that are going to be driving uh, innovation over the next 10 to 15 years. If you put your head down, you don't pay too much attention to what's happening in any given moment and instead focus on the big picture. I think you're going to be a whole lot happier uh, and with a whole lot more peace of mind. So, so long-term investors should remember the long-term inve- that they are long-term investors. It's so easy to forget, but that's absolutely right. Well, a, a good resolution for the new year. Um, so, listen, thank you so much for joining us, Jack. And thank you all for listening. Well, that concludes Season 3 of Insights Now. As we work on Season 4, I invite you to download the JP Morgan Insights app for iPhone and iPad, which is another way to access this podcast and all of our timely insights on the markets and economy at your fingertips. This content is intended for information only based on assumptions in current market conditions and are subject to change. No warranty of accuracy is given. This content does not contain sufficient information to support investment decisions. It is not to be construed as research, legal, regulatory, tax, accounting, or investment advice. Investments involve risks. Investors should seek professional advice or make an independent evaluation before investing. The value of investments and the income from them may fluctuate including loss of capital. Past performance and yield are not indicative of current or future results. Forecasts and estimates may or may not come to pass.